And this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 9, Episode 16. I'm John DiCarlo, joined today by Kyle Gauss, Declan Landis, Johnny Zwizlak. So much to go over today. It's been a very eventful week in Temple sports. Of course, Temple landed a triple overtime win over LaSalle last night at the Leah Course Center. The Owls will be playing for the inaugural Big Five Classic Championship against St. Joe's Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. at the Wells Fargo Center. Things not as cheery and upbeat on the football front. EJ Warner has hit the transfer portal. We'll have a lot of football to discuss a little bit. Later in the show, as well, answering all your mailbag questions, of course, we'll review everybody's Thanksgivings, any last-minute food takes you guys have, anything else you want to put on the agenda, but a lot of of cool stuff to get to. The Scoop, brought to you once again by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured while on the road or the highway in the crash was somebody else's fault, the insurance company is not going to be on your side. You need us, Temple Law Grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, call us today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans-law.com. Should also mention that a little bit later on in the show, we are going to be talking to a good friend of mine, Jeff Nyberg from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He covered last night's St. Joe's Villanova game, and he'll give us a little bit of a closer look at the Hawks that this team, uh, this team that Temple's going to be facing Saturday night. So we'll look forward to talking to him as well. What's going on, guys? I'm so tired. I'm so sleepy. Yeah, that was that was a long game. That was a very long game. It was a fun game. Though. Kyle's already making a – he's just all, already like – The game was over at like 10-15. No, like, it wasn't. Was it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> There's no way. Well, we didn't leave the building till like 12-30. Well, that's because you're slow and you're still learning. That's, your that's not but, us. But the game, I think the game literally ended 10 15 or 10 30. That's it was a seven o'clock tip. Yeah. yeah. How, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah. Good. My mom almost screwed up the devil eggs. She, uh, I don't know if you know how to make devil eggs, but to shock the eggs and you, know, you put them in the freezer. Um, and she forgot to take them out of the freezer. So she froze all the eggs. Well, no. So she had to make them kind of like impromptu, fortunately. Mm-hmm. We were survived. You, were you pouting about these? I would have been very upset if there weren't deviled eggs. Deviled eggs, they only have like a five-year window, a five-week window, not five years, five-week <laughs> window where like it's acceptably like six deviled eggs and we're in that window. We're in deviled egg season. What is the window from like May to November? He said like is that weeks? weeks? If you're saying, you're saying, uh, oh, you're talking about like the, the, the time Are you smelling frame. gas? Is there no, a leak I'm not in your smelling office? Gas. I thought you were talking about like a seasonal time to eat deviled eggs. Correct. I am. I'm saying from like Thanksgiving through Christmas, you can eat deviled eggs. Well, aren't Other than that, it's like a once in a blue moon thing. We have, well, what about like I've I've always had I'll give you like, New Year's. What about like I in the summer? Years, so. Like you've never had deviled eggs. At, no, like, I have, but those are like a one-off. Like you're like, okay, maybe I'll get deviled eggs for the table. Like, let's get a thing of this, like you get a little appetizer, but like Wait, I can I pop I probably ate nine deviled eggs. On Thanksgiving, <laughs> that's valid. delicious. Nine deviled eggs on Thanksgiving, like the half six. You get like a half an egg, so and like then, four and a half total eggs, and then turkey after that. Yeah, John. <laughs> What's that have to do with anything? How are you feeling later on? 
fine. <laughs> I, I, I do not have the GI tract that you do. Yours I was is gonna like, say, John can't process that people can eat. Yours is like when like they that. find somebody that's been like on a raft in the ocean. They're like, we can't feed him too quickly. His stomach might explode. <laughs> like that's you every day. <laughs> For me, I can eat four and a half eggs in the span of however many hours and I'm fine. <laughs> Rymer stopped over on Thanksgiving as he did at, at Johnny's house. Yeah. And, and after a while, Chelsea just enjoyed you know, telling embarrassing stories about me. And then Brian basically like just staring into my soul and saying, John, what was your thought process there? <laughs> that was hilarious. This or I was that, a big so. fan of that. Yeah. Poor decisions. The John DeCarlo story. <laughs> Declan, Declan, John, Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah, it was good. I had my uh, dad's side of the family over and then Ramir came towards the end and uh, it was great to have his presence. And then my family, through a dance party yeah I heard they, you guys did the chicken dance well i didn't do the chicken dance my 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 dad and my little cousins did the chicken dance mm. so do you think ramir was comparing your two thanksgivings oh yeah yes and he he come he had said that we talked about that yeah friday morning the guys called me on the on the way to the game he yeah he had he had said that because my house had a green bean casserole that one uh the he favored the food by a tiny bit a big green bean castle guy. But I see. I see. These also, John Doug Carlo, please speak into the microphone. Your <laughs> volume's really low. I am speaking into the mic. Johnny's a Wizlack. Great. He's projecting, coming across great. Is Johnny number one in the Al Scoop power rankings right now because of this? No. Do you have you seen the power rankings? By default, I am number one. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny's number two right now. One A, one B. Um, on this podcast, he has right now. Well, Declan fixed it though, so that fix that gives him points and <laughs> takes away from other people. Oh, well, you know, it's producer magic right there. I don't want to be that guy, but you know, now, we we specifically told my mom normally love your green bean casserole, but just she focused on something else this year. She made lasagna, so Ramir did like the lasagna. yeah. He mentioned that that was that was a high point of yours. We also had lasagna. My uh, brother-in-law's wife is Italian, so we had lasagna. Not great for the actual Thanksgiving, but the next day to break up the leftovers from yeah. just being like turkey and all that, lasagna yeah. hits. Like, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Famous number 16s, guys. Oh, shoot. Uh, Joe Montana. Yep. Bobby Clark. Mm. He, he wore 16, right? I think definitely looking right now. Uh, uh, Tyler Lockett as well. Oh so, yes. Ugh. Um. Vinny Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde. I thought Vinny Testaverde wore number fourteen. I'm looking at a photo of him wearing sixteen, John. Hmm. On the same Montana. site that we all go on. Montana was going to be mine. <laughs> he wore fourteen with the Bucks. He was sixteen with the Jets. Cowboys, Titans. I'm oh, sorry, just Cowboys, Panthers. I'm tapped out without without That's actually I looking. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I just I always think of Joe Montana, Notre Dame legend. Ooh. What was your favorite class? No, hey, really likes. Um, one of the first people to like abandon the Oakland A's wore this when he was with the Oakland A's. Abandon the Oakland. His A's? brother later played with the Phillies. Oh, Giambi. Giambi wore 16 with the A's, but then 25 with the Yankees. Hmm. Any other ones you could quiz us on? Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I'm doing. Going through <laughs> these people. A lot of grainy photos. Don't recognize some of these people. Uh, then I'm, I'm screwed. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Uh, tall wing player for the Chris Weber uh, Kings. 
Stoyakovic? Yes, Peja. Okay. Yeah, it's good. There we go. Nice. Good quiz, guys. Yeah. <laughs> good quiz. Good quiz. <laughs> oh, wrote last one. Uh, married a future morning show host. Married a future morning show host. Regis and? Oh, that's who I was thinking, but I can't think who it is. Come on, John. Oh, Frank Gifford. Frank yes. Gifford. There we go. The late, great Frank Gifford. All right, good. Good, good stuff. Quiz. Good, good quiz, stuff, guys. guys. Good quiz. Good start. Great let's, talk about, let's talk about this triple overtime game that Temple played last night. Eight ties, 15 lead changes, 10 players fouled out, five on each team. And at the end of the night, Temple's closing out this game with Quante Berry, Deuce Roberts, Taj Sweet, Shane Dazoni, and Steve Settle on the floor. But they got it done. Temple gave away an eight-point lead. Inside the last two minutes of regulation, they missed 27 three-pointers last night, 15 free throws. This was Temple's first triple overtime game since 1990 when they beat UMass. And they won despite giving up a big five single-game scoring record of 41 points to Jameer Brickus, who was just fun to watch last night. It was fantastic for LaSalle. Steve Settle, one of the heroes of the night, he had a double-double with 19 points and career-high 16 rebounds. Of course, at the game, tying three in the first overtime to send it into a second overtime. Kyle, as always, did not disappoint. Dropped some stat gems last night. Steve Who else Settle. you know out here dropping Temple Minute stats? Nobody. 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 I just imagine you squaring off against somebody in, in like a back alley somewhere. Like, who are you? And they're like, <laughs> well, the last time Temple had 100 points. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's easy shit. That's, that's kindergarten stuff. <laughs> Why don't you test me this time? Uh, Steve Settle, first player in Temple, uh, the first Temple player to play 50 minutes since both Lavoy Allen and Bradley Jefferson had to play, as Kyle pointed out, every minute of Temple's double overtime loss to Kawhi Leonard's San Diego State team in the 2011. What's that? In Tucson, Arizona. Yes, we were there. We were there covering that game. Make um, your own taco bowl was the pregame media meal. Oh, I forgot about that. Delicious. Yeah. That was that was a very creative, probably one of the better media meals I've had. Yeah, make your own taco bowl. I remember they had it like in like an auditorium. There's like, here you go, like make your own taco. Okay, yeah, we'll do tortilla chips here, bottomless tortilla chips. (laughs) This Kyle, this was my favorite poll of yours from the night. Temple's 96 field goal attempts were the most in program history, the most in Division One basketball since McNeese had 96 against Houston Christian back on March 5th, 2022. And none other than Sam Hoffman started both of those games. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. The well-traveled man. Yes. Um, understand that they ran out of hot dog buns on Dollar Dog Night. People seemed a little upset about that on Twitter. Uh, we got to watch the game with Claire Smith and Karen Turner. That was very lovely. Yeah, that was probably made it the best part. want to shout out Karen Turner, one yeah. of the truly, truly awesome educators here at Temple. She We're going to be celebrating her upcoming retirement next week. Uh, Love her to pieces, love Claire Absolutely. as well. So um, they were able to sit with us on press row. But um, I mean, other than the fact that I'm I'm absolutely loving the the Big Five Classic chaos, and we'll we'll talk to Jeff Nyberg about this. I mean, it's it's insane. We've got Villanova and Drexel playing in the fifth in the fifth place game on Saturday. You have last night's craziness. St. Joe's is finally starting to hit their stride. But um, what do you guys take out of last night's game? Again, it's it's November basketball, but I, I think there are beyond just the win and the excitement of the win, a couple of big takeaways from from last night. But uh, Kyle, I'll start with you. I mean, what do you 
what do you what do you take from that? You look like you're looking around like there's a fire alarm going off in your house. So I have four monitors, and sometimes you're up in the top, and sometimes you're not in the top. So I, <laughs> I, I literally was looking around to see where you were as I was doing something <laughs> else. Um, yeah, to be honest, I think I was pretty vocal about that the Big Five Classic was a stupid idea when it got announced initially because, like, why are you taking away these opportunities? The first rendition of it uh, has not disappointed. I think it's chaotic. I think it was always going to be a game where Fran Dunphy was going to be able to score points because that's what Fran Dunphy teams do. Like Fran Dunphy can coach offense as good as anybody in this nation. Um, I don't think I ever saw Jameer Brickus dropping 41 points in a Division One game happening, but here we are. Um, but from a Temple perspective, I think the resiliency and the depth of the team kind of stood out. Um, I I saw people like the, the easy low hanging quote is like this, this team loses that game last year. And I'm not sure if that's the case because I don't know if they would have gone to three overtimes against LaSalle last year, mm-hmm. but I don't think Temple had the depth last year to withstand five guys fouling out and still be competitive in a, a cross city rivalry. So I think it was refreshing to see guys like, but yeah, I think people have been waiting for this game for Quante Berry, right? Where like Quante Berry is all of a sudden out there and he looks like he can run the offense and he can bring the ball up and he can shoot some big time threes and kind of just show why he was a Big East caliber uh, recruit. So I I saw some negativity on Twitter on this after this game, to be honest. Like, oh, they, they won this game in spite of themselves. They had so many opportunities to lose and they didn't. Um, and they didn't is my takeaway. I think it's a... The type of win that if they if they had lost this game, this would have been like a deflating, demoralizing loss. Instead, it's a like bounce back win that you're like, okay, let's see if they can get some momentum going to St. Joe's. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. And you mentioned Quante Berry, but my biggest takeaway was Steve Settle. I mean, we had talked, you know, in the in the preseason about could Steve Settle be a guy that stretches the floor and is a big factor on offense. And I think I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. But I said now with Jaleel White out, Steve Settle kind of has to fill that role of getting buckets when Hysir Miller can't. And I felt like last night was the first night he really showed that he could do that in Cherry and White. Like that was that felt like the breakout game we were looking for. And, you know, when he got the the ball on the wing in that first overtime and hit that shot, it, it seemed like there was a, a level of confidence we hadn't seen. And then he hit that Euro step in the third overtime and he was flexing and he showed a lot of energy like that felt like the first time we had seen that all year. So I don't know if that's a, a big, you know, indication of where his confidence level might be at right now. But I think that was maybe just as big for that team last night as the win was, was getting him in a place where he's confident with the ball in his hands on the offensive side. You know, you are you were always going to get that defense with his, you know, his length and his ability to close out on the perimeter as well. But now that he can maybe be that viable option we had been looking for out of this team, you know, alongside the guys that had shown up. I think that was that was a key takeaway as well. I also like the fact that Adam Fisher put him on Jameer Brickus a little bit later on. Yeah, the game. like basically almost kind of saying like, <laughs> right now we don't have anybody who's quick enough to stay in front of him, but we have somebody with the with the wingspan to distract him a little bit. I I think Steve's just kind of almost more so maybe like rediscovering a little bit of confidence. I mean, this is a guy that scored, you know, eleven first half points against Kansas in the NCAA tournament last year. Now, eventually, Kansas pulled away in that game and beat Howard pretty handily. But, yeah, certainly a a big, big game from him last night. And that play to set up that game-tying three in the first overtime was really well done. Mm-hmm. Getting the ball out to Zion Stanford, a little dribble handoff to him, and then he hits that shot. Johnny, what did you take away from last night? No, I think it's a combination of everything you guys said, but I also think it's just, like, 
the resilience and the belief that this team has in each other and Adam too. I feel like that's something you didn't really see last year under Aaron. I mean, I know we know that things weren't great in that locker room and I feel like now it's just the complete opposite where they like, they all believe that, that while some, not everyone's going to play every night, that they all have the ability to pick each other up if someone's not playing well. And I, I also think just picking someone out, I thought Jordan Riley was a guy that looked a lot better last night while he fouled out relatively early in that game. He looked like he looked actually looked really good. And th- there have been times he's looked lost this season. I feel like he looked a lot better and a lot more confident playing last night before he fouled out. Yeah. The, the Quante Barry storyline I think is really really important because he missed time with a wrist injury in the offseason and then for him to to come in in this game and give you what he did you know 13 points in 21 minutes did not turn the ball over a lot looks like he can get to the rim as quickly as anybody on the team right now and I'll be interested to see if he gets more minutes moving forward because I mean again like I see Miller is playing his butt off right now but Eight of 26 from the floor last night, 0 for 7 from 3. To be fair, nobody really shot well on this team from 3 last night. 7 of 34 from 3, 31 of 46 from the line. Like Adam Fisher said, if they just hit a few free throws, they're not going to triple overtime last night. They blew the 8-point lead, you know, again, inside the last two minutes of the game. But one game, it's a, it's a short sample size, but you also have to kind of tip your cap to him. He had the open look against Ole Miss last week. Heisier drove in. Couldn't really, you know, I mean, I was saying we were texting back and forth that day and saying, yeah, I would have easy for me to play Monday morning quarterback. I would have loved to see him pull back, maybe try to hit like a, a pull up jumper there. He couldn't go in against a seven foot four center, but dishes the ball out to uh, to Quante Berry has a wide open look from the corner, doesn't knock it down, comes back in this game and really, really helped close the game. I mean, like you, they, you could argue that they don't win the game. With without him last night with so many with so many players off off the floor, uh, and a, a, kind of a big moment for Taj Tweet too. Again, not his numbers don't jump out of you, but four points, two rebounds, and a, and a big block in eight minutes. Again, they're going to need more from him now that Jaleel White is out. Again, I, I keep hearing this is a multiple week, multiple game thing for Jaleel White. I asked Adam Fisher about him last night, and he was sort of just like very protective of that information. I said, do you have an up, uh, like an updated timeline on Jalil? He said, I, I don't. I said, is it a hand thing, a finger thing? And I think he said yes to both. But at, you know, at the end of the day, you're missing a 6'7", 210-pound guard who can guard five positions on the floor, was averaging 13 points, eight rebounds a game, and, and the renewed confidence he was playing with. So you're losing a, a rebounder there. But again, all the more reason why it was more important to see what you saw from uh, from Steve Settle last night, but um, to kind of echo your point, Heister Miller currently averaging 10 three pointers a game would be the most in Temple history, which I'm not trying to undermine Heister Miller's shooting ability, but I don't think he should be attempting 10 three pointers a no. game at this point no. in his career. No, but last night, I mean, that was just became that type of game. I mean, this is a Temple team that up to this point had been making its free throws, all of a sudden they weren't making their free throws. So, like, I, I just think you, you walk away from that win just being like, well. Mm-hmm. they won like they did a lot of things weird they won in ways that you wouldn't think they were going to win but you go okay they won they're four and two and they have a chance to win the big five and i think if they win the big five they would retake the all-time titles from nova i believe so there you go big five historian kyle gauss big five guy Look at that just historian just also, could be, yeah. <laughs> also could be making that up so let's find out well you know <laughs> all right so let's look ahead to saturday's big five classic 
championship game where Temple is going to be facing St. Joe's, the tentative tip-off time there at the Wells Fargo Center, 7.30 p.m. The Hawks beat 18th-ranked Villanova last night behind 24 points from former Temple recruiting target Eric Reynolds and then 15 from Lingreer the third, of course, the son of Temple's current staff member, Lingreer, uh, who's not on the bench with the guys all the time, but uh, is helping with uh, fundraising and aisle space there. Uh, they shot 14 of 27 from three-point range last night. The Hawks did. Xavier Brown at 16 points off the bench, shot four or five from three. They've got some size in Rashir Fleming, the 6'9", 230-pound sophomore forward out of Camden. He had 12 points, 11 rebounds last night. That snapped an 11-game losing streak to Villanova, and they're doing this without Creased Essendoko, their 7-foot center, who was highly recruited and decommitted from Providence in 2022. He's been battling this toe injury. He had 9 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 assists in the game against Kentucky that they almost won. And then he played 25 minutes in their win over Sacred Heart Sunday, but he didn't play last night. It's the same toe injury, again, that kept him out of their opener. He was wearing a boot on his left leg last night per Jeff Nyberg of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Speaking of Jeff Nyberg from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Jeff has been kind enough to join us on Zoom right now. What's up, buddy? How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. I, I appreciate the intro. And it is it is your dog Frankie's birthday today, correct? It is. We love we love doggy birthdays here. She uh, I celebrated her birthday by taking her to the vet and getting her both an allergy shot and a Bordetella vaccine. Keep those dogs vaxxed, baby. Uh, <laughs> she hates me right now today, but uh, we're going to go to the dog park in a little bit. And one of our dog park friends has promised to bring her a treat. So Aww. it'll be a good I, birthday God. after all. I swear to God, I thought you were going to say you celebrated by getting her spayed. Like no, I, I honestly five, thought the way birthday, no, the I way mean, you were like cadencing, it was like, and we celebrated by having her speak. I like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> That's coming up for us in March with 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 Cece. Jeff got the chance to meet recently. She yes. loves me. And Jeff, you season nine, episode sixteen. A lot of synergy here. Also, your birthday. My birthday it is nine sixteen. Uh, I will not reveal the you know you know it's not polite to ask a man his birthday. So. Uh, how you old guys can is, all so. you guys can all go get lost with this stuff. I'm clearly the most <laughs> I'm clearly the oldest person on this podcast. You're all young. I don't, I don't want to hear any of that. I'm it's actually 30? excited to go, gray like, to go gray like you. I'm not third. I'm already 30. This would be in the I'm entering my mid 30s. Uh, I'm excited to go a little salt and pepper like you, John. I aspire to have that look. I'm not going to call you sexy on a podcast, but I did just do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. so. Much. You are Thank three you. years younger than me. I don't know if I'd call what 32 or 33. 33. Oh, uh, yeah, it's mid-year. I'll call that mid-year. I'll be, 30, I'll be 34 next time around. I just turned 33. Jeff, you're one year younger than me. Shit, sorry, never mind. <laughs> we, we, this, is, we, we, this is hoops talk, baby. I know. <laughs> Before we get to that, we always say we, just the fun gimmicky thing we do, season nine, episode 16, so we'll say famous number 16. Famous number 16, who comes to you? Bobby Clark. Oh, second. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny said Bobby Clark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff is a Pox guy at heart. Really? Yeah, Jeffy Pox. Yeah, in my youth and in my uh, you know, first part of my career, I was I was a, I was a Pox a Puxman, as they say. Hawks, no, nice. I, I've never literally Puxman. never heard anybody say that before. I, mean, <laughs> I doubt that's a term that anybody's ever said. Yeah, so Jeff has had two different stints of, of of covering the Flyers for the Daily News and at the Inquirer, where he was doing that briefly before he is now basically kind of taking the 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 taking the baton here from Mike Jensen. I know he's going to do already doing a great job with that. Jeff, 
thoughts on the on the Big Five Classic format so far? I kind of we were talking about this earlier. I I love the chaos. I think they needed to do something to to shake it up. You and I have been in how many press conferences where people just it's like a half filled palestra. It's like a twenty point margin of victory for whoever's winning, and people ask the same cliche questions. I think things have kind of gotten stale. I'm loving this so far. I mean, I think it's bizarre that you're going to see Villanova and Drexel in a fifth place game, but um, I, I kind of like it. What are your thoughts on how it's going so far? Yeah. I mean, you talk about like last, what we saw last year in that double header at the Palestra, right? Like there was Penn and St. Joe's and Temple LaSalle uh, in a, I think less than half filled Palestra. So fast forward a year from now. And what we had last night was validation that I think this was the right Stepping stone, like the right move to 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 do for what's next in the Big Five, whether it lasts or not, because there's no deal signed for for next year. It's just you know we'll see how it goes. Uh, but last night, being at at the Pavilion for Villanova St. Joe's, uh, having the Hawks win for the first time in that building in two thousand since two thousand four, uh, snapping an eleven game streak, and then you know finishing up with that press conference. I'm, I'm starting trying to start writing my my St. Joe's takeaway. And I can't get away from my laptop because Temple and LaSalle are just locked in a, a friggin' big five thriller. I mean, Brick is and, and, you know, it's just incredible stuff. Uh, so I think having that chaos last night and, and sort of like, you know, they got lucky, obviously, that it turned into two semifinals, right? Because if, if Penn beats Villanova, I'm sorry, if Villanova beat Penn in their first matchup, Last night's Penn St. Joe's matchup doesn't mean anything, right? St. Joe's can win the game and Villanova wins the tiebreaker and goes to the championship. Uh, you know, so we, they got a little bit lucky that last night's stakes were what they were, but uh, because that's the way the format was, it, there, there was always that possibility. What are your takeaways from last night's St. Joe's win? I mean, they they lose to Texas A&M Commerce and then they they bounce back, bounce back to the the in the sense that they almost beat Kentucky. Then last night was obviously huge for them. They're starting to look a lot like their fans and their coaches and the players obviously hope they would look like this is a really talented roster. They were never really, I mean, once they got going last night, that that they were in pretty firm control of that game. And I know Kyle Neptune had said, oh, we're disappointed in our defense. But what are your takeaways from that team after seeing them last night? Yes, it's my second time seeing them this year. I saw them in their win of, over Penn, and parts of that game that looked like they were going to win by by thirty against Penn. Penn got it tight because no one wins big five games by thirty. But I, I wrote going into that game how both of the teams, St. Joe's and Villanova, uh, each had suffered what their fan bases would call a loss that was worthy of their coach being fired. Right? How many? I don't, you know, I'm sure you're not trolling St. Joe's message boards and and commenters, but. Uh, after their, don't know that for sure. <laughs> after yeah. after that A and M Commerce loss, I mean, people were calling for Billy's head. Uh, mm-hmm. After Villanova lost to uh, to Penn, you know, when you when you follow up Jay Wright's tenure and then you go seventeen and seventeen in your first year and you lose to Penn in the first Big Five game of the next year, yeah, I mean, these things start getting said. But uh, St. Joe's wasn't going to be defined by a forty minute sample size where they shot, I think, like six for thirty from beyond the arc against against Texas A&M Commerce. You shoot six for thirty against a high school basketball team, and you're going to lose, right? Like you take thirty shots from beyond the arc, and six of them go in. It's almost mathematically impossible to make up the difference, and they almost did it, right? Like this is a team that going into last night's game, the well, you probably could have pulled most St. Joe's fans and said they were pretty average and they were pretty disappointing. Uh, 
because of that AM commerce loss. And that's based off of how they view Billy's tenure and all that stuff. But they were two missed layups in that commerce game. And that Chris Sendoko missed free throw and one defensive stop away from being 6-0 and going into last night. And we'd be talking about a team who's getting top 25 votes. So like we, it's too, it's like way early in the season. We do this overreaction of right. based on really small sample sizes and things that, uh, you know, are sort of out of coaches control, right? Like there's only, only so, so much you can do through six games. Like, so Billy was, you know, talking to Billy going leading into the game, he's like, I'm, I'm all, all focused on what our trajectory is. And while that, you know, on a data chart is a big blip to the, to the bottom uh, losing to commerce, They've been playing good basketball, sharing the ball well. They just weren't shooting well. And and how did the it went, and when you're this early in a season, how do the sample sizes start to 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 even up? You shoot 14 for 27 from deep, and now the math is like where it's kind of supposed to be. Uh, sorry to go. I'm not even a statistical major or anything. I don't even like. I don't even know math that well. But like that's just how. That's kind of what happened, right? Like you 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 shoot the way they shot last night, and you're going to beat anybody. The, the opposite of that is shoot the way you shot against Commerce, and you're going to lose to everybody. Uh, but all of that is to say, and I'm rambling now, they have three of the best guards in the Atlantic 10. Uh, and maybe not pound for pound, one for one. I mean, their three guards are better than probably anybody's three guards in the Atlantic 10. And in that league, uh, you, as you well know, you have three guys who can fill it up like that. You're going to win a ton of A-10 games. And I think it's almost like, regardless of what St. Joe's fans think about Billy Lang and his coaching ability, Talent alone, they're going to win so many Atlantic 10 games. And, and Reynolds is just a, just a killer, just an elite score. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine you know, both teams are probably Temple and St. Joe's might be a little emotionally and physically spent from last night, especially Temple playing three overtimes. Temple's shorthanded without Jaleel White. We were talking about that a little bit earlier on the pod. He's going to be out for multiple games, multiple weeks. That's a loss for them because of his defensive versatility his ability to score a little bit about the rim and he's been their best rebounder. And, and even with him, St. Joe's has the better roster right now. I think we can all agree that Adam Fisher is a couple of players away from where he really wants this team in the future. In your mind, what does Temple have to do to, to pull off an upset on Saturday? This is going to sound dumb, but it's just like hope that St. Joe's shoots poorly. And they're, cause they're just going to, they're going to get shots. Right. Like, and it's like, it's a, it's such a, stupid and like not very practical way to look at it like oh we could defend better we gotta run them off the three-point line well those guys can get to the rim too like there's like you just gotta hope they have a bad shooting night because i I think they're like just based on town alone those three guys are gonna get good they're gonna get shots um so yeah they gotta play hard defense they obviously have to rebound it's like all about doing all of those little things to to make up what is probably a, a bit of a talent gap uh in in the guard position um now you said you said uh you know, mentioned being tired and whatnot. I mean, if, if Chris isn't able to suit up, uh, if Winborn remains out, they've got basically a, a seven player rotation right. and it's effectively a, a six player rotation. Casper played uh, 12 minutes off the bench last night. Um, Finkley was in, in a bit of foul trouble, but they're going three, four guards and playing, you know, uh, Cam Brown played 38 minutes. Lynn Greer played 35. Reynolds played 35. Uh, you know, they are a deep team, but right now with, with these, with these people, uh, with these players missing action, uh, they're not that deep. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating. Obviously you'd, you'd give St. Joe's the edge here based on roster and talent, but, uh, you would give Penn, I mean, you'd give Villanova a roster and talent advantage over Penn and you'd give them that over, over St. Joe's and, uh, that's why they play the games. Yeah. As my dad Um, would say. 
<laughs> just that's good. Uh, it's good dad language there. Um, you wrote about this a little bit last night too. Like St. Joe's played a lot of zone. And I think Billy Lang said like I, they did it out of necessity because of, you know, because they were without Creaston, because they were without Christian Wimborne, but it worked. I don't know if Billy talked about this more. Like, do you, would you expect them to play a little bit more of it Saturday against a Temple team that that did not shoot well? It's not like they've been. It's not like they were shooting the cover off the ball before that last night. They were just particularly bad last night and were able to to still win. Uh, at one point, I think they were one of twenty from three. It was really really bad. Would you expect them to kind of just say, "Hey, this this worked for us. Great. It's a different roster, a different team." But is it something that they feel they might stick with a little bit for the time being until they get back to a full full lineup? I mean, I think that they can look at the way Temple's been shooting the ball and decide, yeah, we're going to play this three-two zone until they until they start beating us. Because uh, I, I I watched, you know, I was with you at the Temple Drexel game when uh, I don't know how many missed threes High Street Miller had, but there was a lot of them. Uh, Temp, you know, if Piccarelli gets going, obviously he can get it going. But I don't see any reason why Sancho's wouldn't play a lot of the zone, make Temple shoot them out of it if they can even get off the good books. Um, but as Billy said yesterday, they played the zone out of desperation. He decided that. You know, maybe he thinks this differently, but he decided that uh, against Villanova, the the only way they were going to win the game is if they saved their energy for offense uh, and, and just kind of sat back in, in a zone against a team who had struggled uh, against zones earlier in the season. Uh, the reason why Penn beat Villanova is because Penn went zone and Villanova couldn't beat it. Uh, Villanova struggled a little bit at times against Lemoyne, even uh, it, with their zone. Uh, you would know better than me, having seen more Temple than I have this year. Have they been zoned? I mean, I, Drexel zoned them a little bit in in the Temple game, right? In the Temple Drexel game, Columbia did. Yeah, they've had a hard time moving the ball against the zone too. Like not even just shooting, moving the ball. Yeah, yeah, that was Villanova's problem yesterday against St. Joe's zone. So I'm sure they're you know St. Joe Billy and his staff are watching film today, being like, "Yep, that's what we're going to do again on Saturday." Yeah. Um, again, you've, you've seen what you just saw him against Drexel, right? Like any early thoughts so far on the Adam Fisher era between just, again, I think we can agree that they're not an NCAA tournament team this year, barring any sort of really surprising developments. But what do you think so far from what you've seen just on, on the floor, what he's done with recruiting so far and just the, the start that he's off to? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we, I mentioned to you when we were at the, at the Drexel game, I was super impressed with Zion Stanford. I saw him play, I think, two high school games last year. And I was like, okay, yeah, they got a guy who might develop into a player. And he's he's already a player, uh, which is a good development for them. Um, you know, they're showing you right now that they're gonna be in a lot of games, right? They've got they've got players who are who are tough and who can make shots when when, when necessary. They they can uh get stops when when they need to. There's like a couple interesting players on their team. I like I'm like, you know, having a guy like Piccarelli, he can get going in a game, they can win some games, like high volume shooters like Miller, you, you can, you win some games with those guys. Obviously they're not an NCAA tournament team. They're, they're not winning the American. It would be an incredible feat if they did. Um, but certainly not a team that's going to get blown out in a lot of games. You can see that already with, with the results this year. Um, you know, probably should have beat Ole Miss. You were, you were at that game and you might, you might agree that a narrow loss. We're like a couple possessions away from them being six and oh right now. It's like, you know, they're obviously uh, there's something there. If they're not, terrible uh they're not going to be great but uh if you expect them to go you know win four only four games or so in the american it doesn't seem like that's going to pan out that way jeff tell us about a couple more questions here for you and we really appreciate your time tell us a, a little bit more about what your role is going to be like at the inquire obviously it, we all have a, a ton of respect for mike jensen who's going to be retiring and moving on and, and working on a book and you and i know mike really well and tell us about 
what it's going to be like being kind of like a like general assignment reporter features guy, obviously covering a lot of college hoops, but how exciting is this for you right now? Yeah, it's awesome. It's like, uh, if you could give me uh, at the stage of my, what I want to do in, in life and my career, this is like, you know, up there in terms of, of dream jobs. I could do this job until uh, it's time for me to retire in 30 something years. <laughs> if, if, if this kind of job still exists, uh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so uh, there's no replacing Mike. There's no such thing as replacing Mike Jensen. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Uh, but my job is going to be uh, to be the Inquirer's college sports guy. Uh, that means finding cool features to write. It means um, writing analysis off of our college basketball teams. Um, obviously, that means a lot of for us. That means uh, a good chunk of my time will be spent with Villanova. They are a you know a subscription driver for us. Um, they have a big fan base, but. Uh, that's also in part because some of the other teams haven't been that great. So it looks like we might have a good St. Joe's year. Um, you know, Penn's always in the mix in the Ivy. Uh, a couple of our women's teams are good. Adam Fisher's tenor starting out good. Like there's, you know, Drexel's going to compete in the CAA. It's like, it's going to be a busy year and college sports in general right now, as you guys know, better than most is a fascinating uh, topic to be covering. Um, you know, I'm not like, you know, I, I don't know that I, three years ago expected to be a college sports writer covering the changing landscape like this. Um, you know, this job used to be a little more cut and dry than it was uh, now. And now it's, um, you know, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot like collectives and payments and uh, you know, who knows if the sec is in the NCAA in two years, like the, uh, this, this world is like a crazy world. And, and that's actually, you know, it's exciting. Maybe, uh, a couple of years ago, if I was entering a job like this, maybe a couple of years into it, you kind of get bored. And now it seems like college sports will be uh, anything but boring for the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, it'll be it's exciting to to be stepping into a role like this uh, during this time. Jeff, and, and to close things out, obviously, we've known each other a long time. You're, you're a Temple graduate. You got your start at Temple. Uh, tell people just about like your interest in writing, what your time was like at Temple. We've known each other for a long time. You've known Kyle for a long time. You're a fun person to be around. You like long walks on the beach with Lisa Dude, and Frankie. Long walks in South Philly right now. That's yeah. <laughs> but what uh, tell, I mean, for, for Temple fans who are listening, tell us about like your time at Temple. What got you interested in this career path? Yeah. I mean, what got me interested in, in sports writing is I was a terrible student in anything else. I had very limited interest in anything outside of, <laughs> Writing and so it wasn't that I was like a great writer in high school or anything like that. Or I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a great writer now. I mean, just like I, I didn't really have many interests in in school. I was a bad high school student. Um, I wanted to work in sports, but didn't want to do like business stuff. I'm not that interested in business and and, and math and finance. Uh, so the one thing I was decent at in in school was uh, I always did well in writing in English. Um, so how did you combine those two things? It's you write about sports. Uh, so it's pretty simple that way. Uh, and, uh, Temple, um, wasn't my first choice. I started my college career at Arizona state, uh, didn't really go to class that much, missed the East coast, uh, ended up back at, at Temple, um, found my soulmate in John DiCarlo. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I had a fantastic time at Temple, uh, afforded me great experiences. The Temple news was great. Uh, being in a city like Philadelphia, uh, I interned at, at WIP and eventually found an internship at the Daily News. And um, yeah, things just kind of worked out that way. And because the journalism and newspaper industry is what it is, I've been in and out of it now for 
multiple years working in restaurants, driving for Uber, delivering pizza. I mean, I've done everything. Um, everything. Yeah. Uh, I've been a, you know, career jack of all trades person. And, uh, you know, I kind of like, it's like, I think that's, and it's, it's, I've been that way in, in journalism too. Like I've covered the protests of 2020 and coronavirus. And, I forgot about that. Uh, um, just like everything. I, mean, I was an education reporter. I've, there's like not, and all of these things I think have made me like a better, like it sounds stupid, but like a better person and like a better reporter because of all these experiences that I've had. Um, so it's been fun. It's been, uh, it's been a very interesting uh, now 10 or eight years post uh, college graduation and I wouldn't have it any other way, but now it's uh I'm a married man and now I think I'm in a role where I could I could stay for a while and 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 but uh as I've learned many times in in this industry uh things could change tomorrow so I'm just uh, I'm still in that take it day by day kind of mentality stacking days your your wife stacking days brother your your wedding was was just lovely I think I didn't we talk about this didn't I wrongfully accuse you of talking in my advanced sports reporting class I looked up you and said something you gave me this look like Bro, I'm not. I'm not talking. Why are you looking at me? Uh, yeah, probably something like that. I thought you were, for a second. I thought you were talking about that time that I came to speak to your class at St. Joe's and uh, you grabbed gave you a heart. Yeah, yeah. So this is a funny story. So he, John, Johnny's like, you know, I, I figured any good teacher, right, is going to print out more copies for a test than they need. So I'm I'm about to speak to Johnny's uh, uh, sports writing class at St. Joe's, and they're taking their AP style quiz. And I don't know, maybe there's let's say there's 15 kids in the class. This dummy prints out 15 copies of the quiz. You know, anything could happen. You could spill coffee on one, anything. So I just like grab one and start filling out the answers. And Johnny looks at me. He like looks, what are you doing? He's like, he's he's like, oh my God, I only printed out the, the perfect number. Oh my God. And you know, as you guys know, Johnny gets like frantic when when things aren't going. Be like, so he goes, he's spiraling. What am I going to do? Like what's spiraling? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're telling, it's a podcast. John. We're telling stories here. We're just pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> so I like, I, I like, I'm just like a guy who's like, I got to fix this for it. I got to, I got to make it right. So uh, I grab one of the, the copies that I didn't write on and like start <laughs> running around the, the hallway where, where the classroom was. And I behind like a weird locked door, I found a copy machine, made copies and saved the day. That was a pivotal moment. Uh... Our friendship. In fairness, you haven't updated that test in 13 years, so you it, could have it, just used a previous version. <laughs> I've updated That's it. That's why I started filling it out because I was like, "This is the same one I took four years ago." Like, I'm just, <laughs> why would I not just you know reprise my role as as student? Jeff, you know what Declan teases me about? Like, was I teaching the Frank Sinatra has a cold story in the advanced class? And so Declan walks around every once in a while and he goes, Guru, real quick, quick, who am I? And he starts singing a Sinatra song and then he sees it. Be- <laughs> John DiCarlo has a cold. Yes. Yes. Jeff, I love you, buddy. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. All right. Big thank you to Jeff Nyberg from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Again, Temple and St. Joe's will square off Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. at the Wells Fargo Center for the inaugural Big Five Classic championship it's been an eventful week for the temple football program and not in a good way necessarily although i can't say we were totally totally surprised by this maybe a little bit. A little surprised ej warner in the transfer portal where does temple go from here quarterback let's talk about we've got some again if you're a temple football fan we're going to have some recruiting updates for you about a lot of weekend visitors coming in if you're an alscoop.com subscriber 
We'll have the latest information for you there in terms of who's visiting. Are, are we surprised with, with the EJ news? We were kind of obviously um, talking about this back and forth in that press conference on Friday leading up to it. He kept saying he kept making references to, you know, next year, looking forward to getting back with the guys. And then literally as he's getting up to leave, Ryan wanted to get that question. He said, are you going to be back next year or next season? He said, ah, please don't ask me that. Just focus on the seniors. I could have gone either way with it because I think EJ is just a different, he's just a different type of guy where he is not a self-promoter, not a name dropper for being Kurt Warner's son. So I wouldn't have been, Kyle and I, I think we're, we're talking about this offline, just saying like, I wouldn't be totally surprised if he comes back for another year and then maybe grad transfer somewhere, but obviously did not waste a whole lot of time and he, and he's leaving. What, what do you guys think? Obviously huge loss for the program and the offense in general, but did this kind of catch you? We knew it was a possibility, but it, did it surprise you or were we expecting this? Uh, yeah, I think it surprised me a little bit just because of what you said. I mean, I, I think in the two years of EJ Warner being in my life, uh, I wouldn't have categorized <laughs> him as somebody that like talked just for the sake of talking. So when he kind of said the thing that like, oh, yeah, we have to focus on getting better next year. And we got to work on this. I kind of thought like, well, he didn't need to say things like that. So that kind of leads me to believe that he is coming back. Obviously, something changed. If you had asked me last like Tuesday, is he coming back? I would have said no. But then the post game conferences, uh, post game press conference made me think that maybe he is coming back. But no, it in like in a silo, it surprised me. But in a bigger picture, like no, that seemed inevitable. To be honest, I was the opposite when we were sitting there in the post game press conference, and I'm doing my my little video, and Stan said something. Somebody had asked him about looking at roster adjustments in the offseason. He's like, we've already had some of these conversations because the the window is so tight. And then when EJ said, please don't ask me about that, I, my brain just immediately went, I don't he's gone. Think, I don't think he had that conversation with EJ. Yeah, I don't either. I don't, think, don't think that think so? was a I don't think that was a hey, we know this is your last game thing. I mean, Stan also had quotes about like I'm so excited about his future. Like we think that he's a hell of a player and like he has a good ceiling yeah. here. Like I think that was more about like the Jordan McGee's, the Evan Rigby's, the Victor Stoffel's, like things like that, where they could come back for a sixth year. I guess I just wasn't thinking about that Maybe. in the moment. Cause when he said, when he, he looked Rymir dead in the face and like his expression changed and he was like, please don't ask me about that. Mm -hmm. And I, it was just something about like, maybe it was the air in the room. Maybe it was how he said goodbye to rich. I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was weird to me. Very like it, it was dramatic. Maybe it was the way he said goodbye to Rich. I don't know. Like, it was just, you know, me being the the observant guy that I was trying to be. I Maybe was like, this feels weird. The background. <laughs> Maybe it was the, you know, the sunset as he was walking off. But I, no, it was just like, it, it genuinely was just a weird, like, vibe that I got. That I was like, I don't know that we're going to see him again. I'll say this. If, I hope. Maybe you're right, because otherwise, like, there is a moment I, I point back to a lot. You know, when you guys were just wee lads and still figuring out your life rod carey in his last year literally had a quote on signing day where he said because like arnold evichetti had left and went to penn state all of a sudden he said it's chris banks's turn it's chris banks's turn to take an opportunity it's his time and he entered the portal 12 hours later yeah. so like and that was kind of like when you pinpoint you go that was the end of the rod carey era like we didn't know it yet but that was the end of the rod carey era yeah you hope you don't point back to stan hyping up ej warner and then him entering the portal 12 hours later as the end of the sand right now <laughs> Um, uh, for me, I don't think I was surprised. I think it was just you, you referenced like the the way that the room felt when he answered that question. And I think I think it had something to do with the fact that like I think he felt like he got out of the interview without having to directly answer that question. 
but the way that he had to sit back down and was able to get a, get that question, he kind of not caught off guard, but like, I don't know. I think there was just something like he was like, oh, oh no, I thought I got out of having to answer it. And then just kind of like said that like the truth, like not the truth, but like tried to weave his way around it without saying anything at all. But it kind of really said a lot. And the answer to this next question is going to be an incomplete, but where does Temple go from here at quarterback? Because again, it would go back. Let's, this is becoming the, the Rod Carey hour where I, I do like that quote that Kyle points out where you talk about football being a developmental sport and Rod's like, you know, players are allowed to get better. What we saw a Forrest Brock. The best thing Rod here, Carey ever gave to this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Forrest Brock uh, did not look ready, did not look good against SMU. Granted, nothing was really going well or right around him, to be fair to him. Players are allowed to get better. He could go out and have a good spring. Tyler Douglas wasn't, you know, obviously not showing them enough in practice to be ready for that point. But again, Tyler Douglas, true freshman, allowed to get better. And we don't we don't know where these guys' heads are at right now. Chris Dietrich, they're one of their earliest, was he their first commit from the 2024 class? I think so by like yeah. a, a couple hours or something. Like they, yeah. I think they got a couple kids in that class. That now he, de- he decommitted today. That's not to say that he was going to be ready to come in and play as a true freshman. But as of now, you've got Forrest Brock. You've got Tyler Douglas. I mean, I'd have to think before between now and December 20th, right? Is early signing is when it starts? Uh, 20th, yes. Yeah. Oh, I have it right here in the script. I'm an idiot. It's okay. I'm so sleepy. So. We're all learning. It's only yeah. our 140th episode. Actually, yeah. no, it might be like our 400th episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be shocked at this point if now they're not bringing in a, a – a yeah. juco quarterback or a transfer and and you know for fans out there i hate to be the wet blanket here again as we talk about ej warner heading into the portal he is entering a very 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 crowded and deep and talented transfer portal at quarterback uh, temple's not going to get not that you'd expect any of the bigger names uh, i i think it's going to be an fcs guy and even the fcs guys that are good are going to are going to transfer up i mean is it a it's got to be juco depth at this point kyle I think you need two guys. I think ideally, yeah, is that two Juco guys or is that a portal guy? I think in an ideal world, you bring in a portal guy, whether that's, and this is honestly, this is not source. This is me just throwing names to the wall. Is that an Evan Simon who started for Rutgers against Iowa? Is that a Cole Snyder, also a former Rutgers guy that's been like pretty good at Buffalo? I think in a normal transfer year, those guys might actually go higher. Like Cole Snyder might go to a higher level in a normal year. Yeah. But there's so many quarterbacks in the portal this year that I don't, I can't, can't close my eyes and see like an okay to good Mac quarterback all of a sudden playing for Virginia Tech, right? Like I think Temple might be in the picture with some of those guys. Um, and then I think maybe bring like a prep school guy to kind of fill that role of Chris Dietrich or what, because as of right now, Forrest Brock and Tyler Douglas is a recipe for just like uh, another developmental season. I think, and not to kind of hint to our own recruiting coverage, I think with the type of guys that they're targeting in this early signing period, I think you Stan might be the most aware that they can't go three and nine again next year and expect no, to still have their job. Jobs. Like he's literally coaching for stories. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the, the early signing period starts on December 20th. Temple now has eight verbal commitments after Chris Dietrich decommitted today. Um, the one thing I'll say real quick is yeah. technically the portal doesn't enter till open till Monday, right? Like you got all these guys that are declaring, like either if they're grad transfers, they can enter now, or if they're like FCS guys, or it might even be lower. But um, 
most things are going to happen next week. That's why, like, I, even though it's an official visit weekend this weekend, you're not going to be like, well, here's UConn's quarterback and Virginia Tech's running back and all this stuff. It's going to still be like high school JUCO kids that they have to target first. But I don't think that will be their overall recruiting yeah. uh, strategy. Yeah. So, again, good time to subscribe now. We understand if you're down on the football program. We get it. We're here for you. Or as they would say in succession, we here. <laughs> we here. We here for you. I will say uh, I hate like most of this stuff with like transfer portal and IL and like people leaving. That being said, this like time of year is my favorite time of year for coverage because it's always like every week. It's like, who's coming in this weekend? What are you doing this? Like we got these guys. We got these names. This person came in on Monday. So subscribe to alscoop.com promo code dirty D. <laughs> Meg, you're gonna have to trim the tree tonight. I went fake tree. I went fake tree two years ago. Best yeah. decision ever made. Fake trees are yeah. underrated. Yeah, I can't. I don't think I've ever put up a, a real tree ever in my adult life. Oh, we had a we had a couple years where we did a, a real tree growing up as kids. One year it fell over, which caused my dad to just un, like just release a tirade of expletives. And yep. <laughs> Kyle, you you know, God bless my father. I miss him every day. You know that how my dad used to try to concoct things and uh uh-huh. he, he actually he, got, he, he came in he created once. an electrical grid in my room yeah <laughs> what there was one outlet in my room and i come home one day and all of a sudden there's four extension cords laid out in like grid system giving me like eight different outlets he had just been in my room yeah just oh, didn't ask it. me or anything just yeah. went in there lifted <laughs> beds laid out like literally what took two outlets and turned it into eight because he just created this not up to code fire hazard yeah. electrical grid. <laughs> yeah, uh, when, That's when, awesome. when Kyle and I lived together for a year in South Philly, I think I came home right, and you were like, "I think it was, I was like, it's not a big deal." I was like, "Your dad definitely like went through my stuff." <laughs> <laughs> Which prompted a call. I was like, "I love you, but I can't remember how many times I said in my life, I love you, but like you can't." Kyle's a grown man. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, I was just nervous. All right. Well, what are you guys doing this weekend? Like, hey, just change the subject. And yes. Anyway, we had a real tree at one point and it fell and you could hear the crash. And then my dad like tied it with one of those little thin wires to a, a little spoke on like a, this little like railing between the kitchen and the family room. Anyway, artificial tree. Kyle's going to be interrupted decorating for Christmas. Sorry, decorate. It's been up for, it, it may put it up um, the Saturday before Thanksgiving. It's been up for like a week and a wow. half. I completely I got against my, like I protested <laughs> and I lose a lot of those protests in the gals house. <laughs> exterior illumination wise, we're in good shape. We got to get the trees up prior to. Prior Did you say exterior illumination? Correct. Yes. Yeah. On the outside, outside. I, have, I have no exterior illumination. What's that? I have no exterior illumination up, but the inside is all decorated. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, Again. Back to the back to the point of this podcast here. Uh, again, stay locked down on Al Scoop. We'll have a lot of recruiting news coming up for you. Let's get to the mailbag here to close things out. A lot of things on a lot of people's minds here. Uh, first question here from Off the Hook Three on Twitter is the handle: If Matt Rule got EJ Warner to go to Nebraska, would Temple fans be mad? Given the climate change of college football and how Temple has performed recently, are they in a better or worse spot than when they got kicked out of the Big East? So it's the first one. If Matt Rule got EJ to go to Nebraska, would Temple fans be mad? Um, it's not happening. I, I don't think EJ Warner is going to end up at, at Nebraska. I keep hearing people talk about Nebraska, and they talk about JMU because he fired because he followed Kirk Signetti two years ago, and people don't understand how Twitter follows work. But like, first of all, Kirk Signetti is now going to Indiana. But Nebraska, the other part is Kurt Warner's kid left Nebraska. 
Mm-hmm. Like they transferred out of Nebraska. It's not like they like hold Nebraska as this like great moment in their life of like all this. Like Cade Warner left and the entire coaching staff's gone. But the bigger picture of like I wouldn't be like if I was a Temple fan, I wouldn't be mad that Matt Rule right. took EJ or got EJ Warner because I don't think this was a situation where EJ Warner got tampered with or anything. I think he just no. decided he wanted to leave. Yeah. No. So. Um, yeah, that second part, given the climate of college football and how Temple's performed recently, are they in better or worse spot than when they got kicked out of the Big East? They're still – look, we talked about how uncertain, like Jeff just said now. Like, I mean, it's a, a time of chaos. You know, people wonder if uh, the SEC is going to break away from the NCAA. We don't know what's in store for the future. I, just having covered that era of Temple football, I'd still – I'd say, again, is the state of Temple football great right now? No, they've had back-to-back three nine seasons – they are like they, they're going to lose some guys in the portal. The Rod Carey era hurt them. You can point to like the, you know, the the chain reaction of events that that, that got them here. But I still think they're in a slightly better spot. I mean, they were the program was truly, truly, truly in the toilet back then. The facilities were terrible. The practice facility was not what it was. The the program, as I've said a million times, was was you know hanging on by a thread. Was almost dropped. It passed by one vote when it went to a vote by the board of trustees, uh, when they were kicked out of the big East, they were recruiting a ton of Juco guys for a different reason where Bobby Wallace was saying, I have to go recruit junior college guys because I can't look a high school student athlete in the face and tell them that we're going to have a program four years from now. Stan Drayton isn't in that position. He's not in a great spot right now, but he can sell playing time. You can come in right away. Uh, I still think they're in a better spot. Again, I'm not trying to gaslight fans and say, Oh, everything's perfect. Everything's great. Still think they're in a, a, a better spot. Any dissenting opinions on that or no? No, I agree. Thank you, John. You were the only one covering double football at that time. Yeah. So yeah. I will defer to you. Yeah. Uh, next question here also comes from Twitter. The, the Twitter handle is PCLE99. Couple questions here. College football, the college football world has gone through many changes over the last few years with the introduction of NIL, conference realignment, et cetera. These changes plus prior uh plus the prior coaches have had impacts. What does Temple plan or need to plan to do to compete uh, in the American Athletic Conference in football? <laughs> they have to. They have to hit on a lot of these guys that they're bringing in this weekend and in the, in the future days leading up to signing day, because again, there's we talked about it earlier. This isn't a a steady build. I mean, there's not. I don't think Stan Drayton and the staff have a whole lot of equity right now. It's not like they went. You know, go three and nine last year. If they were six and six, seven and five after last week, and say, hey, there's a steady progression there. I, again, even if they were, they'd still be losing guys in the portal. Even if they went 10 and two this year and were playing for a conference championship this weekend, I can almost guarantee you that EJ Warner's name would be in the portal the next day. I still think they'd be losing him. Right. There might be a little bit more goodwill, but um, they, they have to, they have to hit on these recruits. They have to, Yes, and they have to, and, and Declan, tip of the cap to you for a great job. You and Sam O'Neill for a job well done and uh, and covering the athletic department for the Temple News if you haven't checked out that story. And it's no secret that Temple is way behind in the NIL space, especially for football. So they need growth and progress there. They have to hit on a lot of guys in this, in this upcoming class in terms of getting immediate help. I, I think that they have some younger players that they could build around, Obviously, huge, huge. It would be a huge boon to them if if Jordan McGee decides to come back. We talked about that a little bit last week. I mean, I don't think as bad as things were this year. Stan Drayton is not Rod Carey. It's not uh, 
you know, total chaos. But yeah, no, I don't think he's lost the locker room. I'm not saying that these guys are happy about losing, but they they gotta they have to win with what they have heading into the next season. I know that's not a grand answer for you there, but I don't know. Anything? Any other additional thoughts on this one? I mean, you know, anything outside of nothing outside of like fundraising really will help as well um because you know we we you mentioned my article and thank you so much for that that was very kind of you but uh you know we we had talked about what are the goals for temple as an athletic program and uh arthur johnson was was saying like we need to compete within our conference and it's tough because they don't have the fundraising of a school like charlotte even like they don't have a fun you know the the fundraising to compete with you know going out and getting recruits and at the end of the day if if you're getting a scholarship to a school and you know, that's great and all, but if you're getting a deal on the other end of that, that you can help your family because nothing's guaranteed even the next year, like, you know, there's only so much you can do to compete with a school that's offering money on top of the scholarship that you're also offering. So it's, it's tough because, you know, you mentioned you got to hit on the recruits that you're getting, but you're not going to get these high level recruits if they're getting better deals elsewhere. So it's it, a big part of it is competing. A big part of it is, is fundraising. Not, you know, not just the tough fund, but the owl club and the athletic department itself. So it's, there's a whole host of, of things that you can go read about. Yeah. I, I'll say well, real quick about the NIL stuff. I'll say the difference, the difference between temple and like a UTSA or even like a UNT USF, none of these schools have a fan base. None of them. I just, yeah. I just watched an entire conference slate of Temple playing in front of 1,800 seats. Yeah. Like, I don't care that USF announced through 3,000 people. There were 450 people there. Mm-hmm. Like, period. The difference is they have NIL to kind of help get these kids in. Like, UTSA was able to keep Frank Harris because they raised $300,000 to keep him or whatever it was. Uh, so either you figure out NIL or you become transfer you, where you just take kids that didn't work out other places, have them use their one-time waiver to come to Temple. I don't think that's long-term sustainable, but some schools are going to try to do that. Charlotte's trying to do that. Like, they're just becoming transfer you. Let me take 70 transfers and hope this works out. And then even if they're good, they probably can't leave because they already used their waiver. Or you become a glorified junior college where you get good at playing guys for one, two years and having them leave. I think, obviously, the first one is more sustainable and is more palatable to temple fans but i guess there's three different ways you could be successful because i think the traditional way of let me get a high school kid build him up and by the time he's a junior senior he's great doesn't work anymore because he'll leave at the first sniff of a better opportunity Mm -hmm. second part of the question here when stan drayton and his staff are recruiting how do or should they sell temple football how do we make this an attractive destination i think it's simple there's playing time here like you can play right away and they're not and they could point to it too. I mean, there were so many freshmen that, you know, not even like week one, but like week two, week three, like Luke right. Watson jumps to mind was playing like almost the whole season as a freshman. Like, yeah. right. you know. And, and in a weird way, I was a Stan has said that and B, I don't know that they would be as vocal about this, but I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if it, when they're out on the recruiting trail that they don't casually mention like, yeah, Hey, like in, in a world of, of the, the, has now been overcome by the transfer portal. Like there are other programs that are coming to pluck our guys. We'll see where you are in a couple of years, but you know, I think some coaches have been vocal about that and saying like, Hey, we want to keep you here all four years. We want to develop you as the whole man, the whole person or whatever. But there again, any other day you want to keep EJ Warner, but there might be someone out there saying like, well, he was able to go there and succeed and maybe he'll end up, I don't know where EJ Warner ends up. That's another 
conversation, but you sell playing time, you sell opportunity. I think it's pretty, pretty simple. Next Twitter question here in the mailbag. Uh, the Twitter handle is Bailey Ward. Does the football department, marketing coaches, or recruiting coordinators need to add more staff to help with this crazy portal scene? No, they need to just, everybody's dealing with this. They need to just, yeah, they, they need to make smart decisions. I don't think it's about adding extra staff. Um, next question here. This is from the message board from the screen name Stapler01. It's a good, good handle. Two questions. Assuming everyone with eligibility stays, what is your assessment of the offensive line next year? We'll handle that one first. Um, as erratic as they were, um, again, this is, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. I do think that you have someone to build around in Luke Watson. I do think that you have someone to build around in Kevin Terry. I think a guy like an Eric King will be key to them. He really get on the field and redshirt this year. Again, that's no cause for alarm, but um, had some decent offers during his recruitment. At one point, he had a Syracuse offer. At one point, he had a Rutgers offer before they moved on to like the next guy on their recruiting depth chart. But I still think they have some some pieces to build around. You have to figure out you know who your center is going to be. I would imagine that is either going to be a more either a better Bryce Toman or a junior college player. Um, I don't think it's totally barren. Uh, Victor Stoffel could come back, right, Kyle? Yeah. So if a guy's like, if, if he comes back, cause he has a six year of eligibility. If wisdom course, he stays, gets like his six year, like things like that. Like the right side of the line was fine-ish. Yeah. Like it was okay. Um, so like, I think, yeah, if you see Luke Watson to kind of take that next step and you see an Eric King or even like Chris Smith starting to play towards right. the end, Diego Brajas ended up redshirting because he only played in two games and couldn't mm-hmm. like, couldn't stay healthy. Like, do I think they need to add pieces? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to try to add four or five pieces in the next, you know, six weeks. But I think there's also enough encouragement, I guess, from like tr- traditionally, if you started left tackle as a f- true freshman, your career arch or trajectory is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be surprised if that doesn't continue to follow that development. Do you think EJ leaving the second, second question here from Stapler one, do you think EJ leaving or just the results of the last two years is likely to lead to any change in offensive philosophy? Mm. Decent question. Um, yeah, it's not a bad question. Uh, I mean, you got to adapt to the quarterback that comes in, right? Yeah. So whoever they end up getting, they're probably going to try and get the best player available. Right. You got to play to their strengths. I mean, and you I, would hope the development of the offensive line leads to some changes, right? Yeah. They couldn't yeah. run the ball. Yeah. And I don't think, again, I don't think that Danny Langsdorf was a problem this year. Again, he's got a long way to go, but Tyler Douglas has probably a stronger arm than EJ Warner might be a little bit more mobile than him. But again, he's he, EJ Warner did uh, a lot more to contribute to this offense, but that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know that again, like it's, I, like Kyle said, you hope that the offensive line develops. You hope that you get a little bit more mm-hmm. out of your running backs, but I, I don't know that it'll change too much if Danny Langsdorf is still around. Uh, last couple questions. Real quick, I think I think the offense is appealing to like if you're a grad transfer quarterback and you're like, yeah. I want to throw the ball 400 times next year. Come on down to Temple. They yeah. were a top 25 passing offense in right. the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was out of necessity, but like that should be appealing to a guy that's just trying yeah. to get film. Like you're gonna get plenty of film, man. Yeah, you're yeah, will. They're yeah. willing to trust you to throw the ball. Right. Yeah. Two questions here. Two, uh, three questions here to close us out from the screen. In Temple fan Al, for football, how much of a football roster overhaul do we need to go bowling next year? Have any of you guys seen Mean Girls? I love Mean Girls. Yeah, the limit does not exist. 
(laughs) (laughs) Like, I think this roster needs like a pretty massive overhaul, even from just like a depth perspective. Like, I think they need to, what's the old like standard basketball cliche of like get old and stay old, Mm -hmm. get old. Cause there was too many, there was too much young depth out there this year. Yeah. Question number two, bottom line, why did EJ Warner leave due to our uncompetitiveness on the field or because of NIL again, standard disclaimer here. I have not had a one-on-one conversation with EJ Warner about this. I don't believe that it's because of NIL. I don't think that EJ is the type of kid who's out there who's chasing money. I don't think his family needs it with his father being Kurt Warner. I think he just really truly wants to play behind a better offensive line and test himself at a power five program, whether he ends up at a, a power five program again, we'll see. And that's no knock on EJ. We just have to see Like we said earlier, he's entering a very, very, very crowded quarterback portal right there. Um, and I think he got along very well with, with Danny Langsdorf. I think this is just like, I've seen what I can do. I, I want to test myself anywhere else. I don't think it's anything really beyond that. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if he went like lateral move. And that's that's not a slight against him whatsoever. I think they might just be looking for a better situation. And it's better to be the quarterback of like a 10 and two Sunbelt team than it is a a three and nine couple team. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I think it's more of just get him into like a winning situation. Yeah. Final question here. Basketball predictions for the St. Joe's game on Saturday is last question here from Temple fan. Now, Johnny, we'll start with you. Um, I, I don't think Temple is going to be able to pull it off. I think St. Joe's just has the better roster and being shorthanded with likely being out with Jaleel White is going to hurt them significantly. Um, I, doubt, I mean, they'll definitely be out. Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely be out. White is definitely going to be out for several games. We'll definitely be out. Um, I'm going to say St. Joe's 76, Temple 62. Mm. Uh, mm. You. Okay, cool. I didn't know. I didn't know if you were about to. I was. Go. I was mm, at sixty-two. That would be oof. Yeah, that would uh, be bad. Especially after we were talking about Jeff Nyberg talking about how St. Joe's felt like they didn't have the energy to play defense against Villanova. If Temple puts up sixty-two, that would be. Well, that was a big thing I was thinking of, and I mean, we saw it in you know the game so far. Like Temple's defense has kept them in games, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter. Uh, I don't know how credible the people were. I don't remember, but have saying like, it'll be 20, 25 points. And like, I get that, but I also think Temple's defense keeps it closer than that. St. Joe's wins, but it's probably like 10 points. I think it'll be maybe a, give me a a 80 to a 71. I think that's, that ends up, I think uh, Matteo Piccarelli gets hot. I think Steve settle builds off of his game against LaSalle and you know, they, they come within 10, but it's still like a, you know, foul game till the end where it's close. The one thing I think Temple kind of has going for it is there's two things that St. Joe's really bad at, and that's getting to the line and rebounding. And like Mm -hmm. Temple's good at both those things. So like maybe, maybe that matches up well. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a benefit. It wasn't at the time, but the fact that Heiser Miller, Jordan Riley, Sam Hoffman all fouled out like pretty early. Not that I'm saying playing 10 extra minutes would have killed them, but like fatigue should not be an issue with them. Like they played pretty much a regular game's worth. Um, what's the storyline here that we're not talking about? Creased and Quante Berry, high school teammates and Providence teammates. They oh, were yeah. literally Providence's entire signing class was Quante Berry and, and Creased that year. Very good. Point. Um, meeting up exactly where they always thought they would at the Wells Fargo Center. Um, <laughs> I'll say I think Temple loses this game. I think it's a situation where you see Temple like make like a run at the end to make it closer than it was, but St. Joe's was probably kind of always at arm's length. I'll say 76-69. Yeah, so I seven I can point see loss. 
I can see this being like a 72 to, to 60 game or something like that. I mean, if Creased plays, I think Temple is in. And again, you're already missing Jaleel White. You don't have, you'll probably see a little bit more. Emmanuel Akpomo did not play last night. I think you'll see him a little bit more in this game just, just for size. I'm not predicting a big Emmanuel Akpomo game. But if, if Creased plays, he's a very, very talented guy. And I think that's spells more trouble for Temple. Um, I, you know, if you're if you're trying to remain optimistic, then you 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 say to yourself, if you're a Temple fan, maybe St. Joe's doesn't shoot the lights out two games in a row, just like you know, they they don't shoot as well as they did against Nova, and maybe Temple doesn't shoot as poorly as they did against LaSalle and things kind of even out, which I could see. But yeah, I still see them leaving uh about 10 or 12 points short in this game. So um, but either way, not a bad thing in, in this point of Adam Fisher's tenure at Temple to be playing for a big five championship. Oh yeah. And, the uh, fact they're even in this game is huge. Yeah. So, uh, and it should be fun. So, uh, and that's what matters most if we're having fun. I mean, you know, I've always said the real big five classic championship title is the friends we made along the way. So that was very corny. <laughs> that was the point, Johnny. Oh boy. Welcome to the bit. Thanks Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you for joining us for another episode. A big, big thank you to Jeff Nyberg from the Philadelphia Inquirer for joining us as well. I hope you guys all had a great holiday. Got to spend some time with family and friends. Hopefully we'll connect with some of you and see you down at the Wells Fargo Center. We'll talk to you next week.